And we're going to be looking at Matthew uh, chapter 16. We're going to be going through the whole chapter. I just want to clarify an announcement. I know there's a self-defense course that was supposed to be this Saturday, which is the 21st. So it got postponed to next, the following Saturday, the 28th. So if you're thinking, hey, I got a schedule for this week, make sure you adjust your schedule. And it's going to be about, it's going to be at 10 a.m. in the morning. So um, if you'd rise for the reading of God's word, we're going to be reading from Matthew 16. Um, and we're going to, as we go through, we're going to kind of go through each section. So this part, we'll just read the first three verses of Matthew 16. Uh, verse 1. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. Let us pray together. Dear Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move. I ask that you would speak to our hearts, that we be open and available to you. Lord, I also want to pray for healing for those. There's a number of people sick and dealing with viruses. This week, Lord, I ask for your touch and your healing in them, Lord, that I ask for your strength and your peace to our congregation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So I'd like to ask a question, and the question I want you to be thinking about today is, do you need to adjust your expectations of Jesus? Do you need to adjust your expectations of Jesus? Um, Sometimes we get angry when we're annoyed or disappointed when God doesn't work the way we want him to. Um... Or maybe it'll work the way we should expect. We pray and things don't work out. Or um, maybe it's our concept that we feel that life should be happy and I'm not happy right now. So I get upset at God. Uh, Maybe I should be healthy. Or maybe uh, my kids are supposed to have no problems. Or maybe I'm supposed to feel God's presence more than I do. We have these expectations of Jesus and how things should be. Or maybe we feel like, you know, I've been struggling with this sin and I can't get rid of it and God just hasn't helped me and I'm just kind of going through life with this. Or, you know, I'm not supposed to have all these difficulties as a Christian. All these struggles. I don't get it. And we have the expectations of God and we get discouraged when they don't work out the way we want them to. And we kind of coast through life and apathetically and discouraged. Or maybe sometimes those who are going through difficulties, they just simply trust. It's like, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Um, I'm going to trust even though I don't understand why this happened. But I'm going to lean upon you and I'm going to walk with you. I know you've been faithful before. You're going to be faithful again. And I need to trust you. No matter what the outcome, even if it's not what I want, I will trust you. Sometimes God wants us to adjust our expectations, what we expect of Jesus. Sometimes we have these demands. And God's like, I have a different plan, and I'm working in a different way. You may not see what I'm doing, but I'm working. Let's look at verse 1 of Matthew 16. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and testing him, asked him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. So the Sadducees and Pharisees were waiting for Jesus to come back. He went to a Gentile area. He had just come back. And they were waiting to test him. They wanted a sign. 
They wanted evidence that he is who he says he is. But the reality, they had plenty of evidence. They just weren't looking at all his teachings, all his miracles, his healings. He, they had tons of evidence. They just weren't really interested in that evidence. And it says here in Acts 2.22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in, the, in your midst, as you also, as you, you yourselves also know. That Jesus, it says here, he was attested to be as the Messiah. God showed and proved this through the signs and miracles and wonders that he performed. That's how we know, right? So it says that in the book of Acts, and Jesus did this through his life. So Pharisees should have seen this, but they didn't. Let, let's see how Jesus answers the Pharisees <clears throat> that demanded a sign. Verses 2 through 3. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, it, is fair, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. You know, Jesus quotes a common saying. I mean, uh, maybe it's just I've heard it. Hopefully you heard it. You know, red sky at night, sailors at night. Red sky in the morning, sailors warning. Most of you are like, I've never heard that. Well, I've heard it. And it was, you understand by the sky what the weather's going to be the next day, right? Or in the morning, if it's a red sky, that's a a simple thing. And the Pharisees knew all that. They knew how to say, oh, it's going to be stormy or it's going to be beautiful by the color of the sky. So they knew that, but they couldn't understand that they had the Messiah in their midst. They couldn't understand the signs of time that Jesus was there. God's salvation was in their midst, and they just totally refused it. And they they said, we want to believe what we want to believe and kind of go on. See, the religious leaders just didn't get it. I don't know how they didn't get it. You see, the, the, the apostle, not the apostle, but John the Baptist actually asked a similar question. But it was asked in a different way. And he wanted to know, he sent his disciples to Jesus and said, Jesus, um, are you the one or should we expect someone else? And this is Jesus' response to John the Baptist's question. He wasn't demanding a sign. He was just asking, is, are you the one? And this is how Jesus answers. It's interesting. It fits here. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Do you see that? Jesus answered the same way. How will you know he's the Messiah? The Pharisees should have seen this. He clearly, he tells John the Baptist, you will see the miracles, you will see the healings, you will see um, God's power just poured out. You will know that I am here. So the Pharisees, of all people, should have known this. They know the scriptures, and they missed it. That was the proof. Maybe they missed it because they weren't really looking. Maybe they missed it because their hearts weren't right. And they just, they like their power. They like, they don't want the Messiah coming here. Oh, we want the Messiah. No, we don't want that. We want our power. And for whatever reason, they missed it. Do you need to adjust your expectations of Jesus? The religious leaders wanted some kind of proof. Their expectations weren't met in Jesus. 
Jesus needs to be, the Messiah needs to be this, 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 and this. And that's what they expected. And Jesus didn't match some of those things in there. So they say, no, he's not the one. Sometimes we're the same way, though, aren't we? We want God to prove it. We want Jesus to prove himself. God, I won't move, I won't move unless you do this, blank, whatever it may be. Or God, how can I follow you if you don't answer this prayer? And we're, we're demanding him to prove it before I move on. The Pharisees actually say, I want more proof, I want more proof before they move. But we're not much different. We kind of stick our heels in the ground and says, I'm doing what I want to do. God, you just got to prove it to me. And then, then I'll do it. Right? Hmm. You know, it's, it's more an excuse not to follow. If God does this, then I'll do that. It becomes more an excuse if it, that, that you're just making excuses, so it gives me an excuse not to follow Jesus. Not to do the hard things he's calling me to do because I'm demanding proof. Really, so I could live as I want. So I could justify my sin. So I could be saying, oh, I'm good. It's, you know, I just don't have this connection with God anymore. I had it, but it's not. So I'm just going to kind of float through life. And it becomes an excuse not to follow. Maybe that's what you're dealing with right now. Are you making excuses? Let's keep reading. Verses 5 through 6. Now when disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So if, you, if you're one of the disciples and you hear, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, you're like, what? What does that mean? Let, let's see how... Um, Let's see how the disciples respond to it. I always love how they respond to things. Let's look at verses 7 through 11. I don't know that I would have been much different. I'd like to think so, but in reality, no. All right, let's look at verses 7 through 11. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we have not, we've taken no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Oh, oh you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Disciples got it wrong at first. They said, oh, no bread. We should have, who forgot the bread? It's your fault, your fault. And they go on a list of, and, and they forget the bread. But no, it's not about that. Uh, you know, sometimes I get it wrong at first. I think God is working, God is moving in this way, and God is leading and directing, and I get it wrong. And then I get all this strong, told because I was, God, you're supposed to be working this way, and I get frustrated, but God's like, yeah, you just missed what I was trying to lead you in. You know, and I got to adjust my expectations and don't allow that to get me discouraged. Lord, I trust you, even though it seems to be going this way and I really want it to go this way. All right, God. You know, even preparing for the message, God, God was having fun with me in uh, saying, you expected this, but I'm going to give you this. You know, and God does that. 
And God works and because he's got something better in store. He's got a bigger reason. He's got a reason for us to trust him more. And sometimes when those expectations that we need to adjust of God, he's allowing our faith to grow. Because if he gave us everything we expected, there's not a lot of trust there. I just ask God and it happens. God's like, you got to trust me in this. Because there'll be a times when you don't know what's going on, but I am in your midst and I'm walking with you and leading you, and you need to trust during those times. If you can't trust during these simple things that you're frustrated over, how could you trust there? So I'm teaching you to have greater faith and to trust me. And God is doing that. Let's keep going. We're going to go to verse 12. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Oh, now we get it. It's about the doctrines of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Not talking about bread, you stupid. You know, I, I think maybe, I think they probably would say that to each other. <laughs> so they're, they're warning about the religiosity of uh, 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 following all these extra religious rules and traditions that the Pharisees had, the volumes they added on to the Bible and say, you have to obey this, this, and this, this heavy burden they put on the Jews that you have to obey all of this to follow God. When God says, I gave you the Bible, you don't need to add to that. Beware of their doctrines. Beware of their thinking. Beware of their teaching. Beware of the motivation of their teaching. They didn't want the Messiah. They wanted the power. Beware of that. And that's what he's saying to them. And, and we need to be aware of our religiosity as well. That we can get caught up in the rules and following, you have to do this, this, and this, instead of having that relationship with Jesus and seeking to let him transform me and lead me. We become, I'm a good person if I do this, this, and this, right? I'm a good person. I have to follow every little thing, and I have to dress a certain way, I have to act a certain way, and then I'm good and acceptable, and we become religious. i got to go to church every Sunday. We become religious. Are you here to meet with Jesus? Are you here to allow him to minister to your heart? Are you here to have a relationship with him? That's what he longs for. He doesn't want your, you sitting in church. Well, God, you know, I, I went to church every week. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for your heart. And if you commune with him, if you have that time with him, you come with a sincere heart, Lord, I'm here to worship, he meets you. Maybe some of the times these expectations aren't happening because God's like, I'm waiting for your heart to turn towards me. And you're not willing to turn, turn towards me. The times of refreshing come. But we're just kind of stuck in our ways. Hey, I'm the first one to volunteer to say, I admit that. That's me. You know, at times I just get stuck and I, I want to do my own. I want this. And God's like, you just got it. Come with me. Like, okay, and then God readjusts. Okay, God, I'm following. Do you need to adjust your expectations of Jesus? Do you need to make those adjustments? We become very religious. Maybe we think if I obey God's command and be a good boy or girl, blank will happen. If I obey his commands, then he'll answer my prayers. If I obey his commands and be a good person, then he'll give me direction. Then he'll, I'll get a job. Then I'll experience him in a greater way. Then I'll get a healing. If I do this, then. And we become religious, right? I have to jump through these hoops to get God to do what I want. Because that's really what it is. God becomes, this legalism becomes a means to an end. 
right? But the end is I want whatever I want, and I will do this, this, and this with God to get what I want. It's not about God. It's about you. If I do this, God will give me this. What's that about God? We're, we're, we're seeking after the gift that God gives rather than the giver. God wants us to seek after him, not the things he gives. When we seek after him, the great thing is the blessings come. We need to seek him instead of the gift. And for there's time in my life for a long time, I was just focused on, Lord, oh, I want to worship you, I want to experience you. And, and I remember through college, and I'm like, and I was worshiping, and, and God really taught me that I was worshiping the things he gave. I wanted that. That was my longing. My longing wasn't God. I wanted the answer to prayers. I wanted God to move. And God had to shut that off for a while. He's like, okay, you're not going to feel me. You're not going to sense me for a time. Who are you coming for? Are you coming for the things I give you, or are you coming for me? That was a hard lesson. It was a hard time. I didn't hear from God for years. I was called into ministry. I was in college. I just didn't hear from him, and I was trying. And God taught me a lot of valuable lessons, and one of those lessons were, you need to just seek me for me. And I got to the point, after those number of years, I finally said, Lord, even if I don't sense you, even if I don't feel you from here forward, Lord God, I am going to trust you because I know you're real. I know how you worked. You did these amazing things in my life, and it's clear that you're real. I'm going to trust you. It wasn't until that surrender that things started to change for me. When I really surrendered, I do like those half surrenders. Lord, you know, if you don't change, okay, God. You know, until God gets us to the point when we could fully like, okay, you know, all right. And we lay it out before God. And he's waiting for sometimes, maybe he's waiting in your life for you to give a full surrender. And saying, God, even if this doesn't happen, I'm still going to trust you. I'm still going to follow you for the rest of my life. And when you mean it from your heart, God hears that, and there's a response. And he will reveal himself, and he will show himself to you. It still may not come out the way you want it to. And that's really what a full surrender is, right? That even if it doesn't, okay, God. And sometimes it doesn't. And i got to trust him even in that. You know, it's interesting. Life can be difficult at times, can't it? There can be some difficult times. As a Christian, I know sometimes we think, hey, I want a happy life. I want a good life. I want everything to work. But there are times of difficulties. And like, wait, the Christian life isn't supposed to be difficult. It's supposed to be happy. We need to change our perspective. We need to change our expectations of how things work. The reality is life is difficult whether you're a Christian or not. Without Christ, you're doing it alone. With Christ, you have someone to give you comfort, someone to guide you, someone to strengthen you. Someone to walk with you and reassure you. He'd give a reassuring word. Scripture, God gives, I'm telling you, he gives the perfect verses at the perfect time. Even when the Bible app comes up, a verse is like, oh, I'm, just, I'm praying about something. Ding. Mm, good one. You know, and God, God will give you a reassuring word. Maybe it's, it's in a sermon. God does a verse. That's not even the main text. It's just a side verse. Or maybe somebody's just talking, oh, I read this great verse. And I'm like, oh. And God speaks a reassuring thing. Maybe it's just through your time with him alone. That that was your devotion. You've been praying and you open up the devotional that day and you're reading through the chapter in the Bible and God has this verse that's just perfect that ministers to your heart. And he gives you this reassuring word. 
And he gives you, in the midst of the difficulties, in the midst of the hard things, if we trust him, he will comfort you and he will lead you and he will guide you and he will uplift you. You know, the reality says, you know, we think, you know, life is difficult. Well, if, if I decide to, well, as a non-believer and I just keep disobeying what God has, there's consequences to that. As a believer, if I disobey what God has for me because I'm grumpy or annoyed at God, I'm just going to do my own thing, and uh, there's consequences. I'm just making my life more difficult. We're so stupid sometimes. Right? We, we do it. I do it. Sometimes we're like, we make our life more difficult. I was like, mm, get angry, and shh. God taught me less than my, f- I had this pinky hurt for a year. God's like, you got to work on your anger. Okay, all right, God. You know, sometimes we don't listen. <laughs> you know, my wife laughs, yes, yes, she knows the full, if you know the full story, you'll, it's really funny. Um, but God works on us, and sometimes we need to surrender and say, God, okay, well, not my will, but yours be done. What you want, I will trust. Because the reality, the perspective, uh, we live in a fallen world. And people don't think that, they, I'm a Christian, everything's supposed to be happy. Well, we're still, we're a Christian, we're a follower of Jesus in a broken world. There's brokenness around us. There's death, there's disease, there's sickness, there's pain. People have free will to hurt one another. There's a reality of the world we're living in that life is not supposed to, is not going to be easy. Not until we get to eternity with Jesus. Or he returns before that, before we, we, we go home to be with him. Well, we experience that peace and that joy and what we think the Christian life should be here. But I can tell you, walking with Jesus, when you depend on him, he gives you the joy in the midst of difficulties. I've seen people go through really difficult things as believers. And I've seen the ones that have trusted in the Lord. And are they crying? Are they in pain? Yes. But I also see them praising the Lord and saying, God is my strength. I don't know, God is the one who's walking so closely with me that I feel him and I know he's next to me. And he gives me such joy that even in the midst, one day, one day, God will make things right. So let's, uh, let's go back and see how the, Jesus responds to the Pharisees and Sadducees demanding a sign. I don't know if you noticed, I skipped over a verse, but I'm going back to verse 4. And this is right when the Pharisees and Sadducees demanding, Jesus, show us a sign that you are who you say you are. A wicked, and Jesus' response is, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Could you imagine? We want a sign, Jesus. You guys are wicked and adulterous. He didn't say, Jesus, say that. He's talking about the generation, though. But it's almost, you know, like we know he confronted the, the religious leaders who demanded too much. He, if you notice about Jesus, he really only does that to the religious leaders who are leading people falsely and away from God. He needs to rebuke them publicly. You see those who are burdened with sin, those who are hurting and pain, he doesn't respond that way to. He responds with grace and forgiveness and love. So I, I don't want you to think, oh, God's responding, oh, I'm wicked and adulterous. Oh, I'm horrible. God's not responding to you that way. I just want to clarify that. So they were demanding a sign, and as a result of their hearts, their hearts were off. Their hearts were evil. Their, their hearts were seeking after other things rather than God. Adulterous meaning they worship other gods. They worship other things rather than God. Their hearts are not worshiping the Lord. Now, there's a difference between demanding and a difference between asking. Demand is... A force, 
I won't move unless. Asking is like, is, is a gentleness, a heart saying, is this true? Is this what it's going to be? Is this what we should expect? You see, John the Baptist, earlier we talked about them, talked about the, him, and he said, when he's asking, his disciples came to Jesus and says, are you the one to come? Are you the Messiah? Or should we expect someone else? That was asking. Pharisees were demanding. Jesus responds differently to a demand and an ask. When it's asking from your heart, Jesus hears you and he responds. And what a gentle response. And he says, look, look around you. The, the, the deaf are here, the blind see. And he just, he answered them because they were asking. It's okay to ask Jesus to lead you. It's okay to ask Jesus to reveal yourself, himself to you. It's about the heart. To seek after him. But Jesus says the only sign will be the sign of Jonah. And here we don't know a lot. It doesn't really explain, but it gives a little more detail earlier in the book of Matthew, a couple chapters back, in chapter 12, verse 39 through 40. He says, But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So we get a little more clarification here. We see that um, as Jesus, he's saying, you want the sign? The sign is, the resur- is, is my death and then resurrection. That will be the sign that you're looking for, that I am who I say I am or who I perceive to be because he didn't reveal to them that he was the Christ yet. But who you think I might be, it's going to be shown, his death and resurrection. Three days, like Jonah, three days in the belly, and then he was spit up on the dry ground. Jesus would be three days in the grave, and he wasn't spit up. But then he resurrected, right, on the third day. He's, that's going to be your sign. That's how you know who the Messiah will be. So he actually, even in the midst of that, that was a loving gesture saying, you want to know the Messiah, you're going to see. And I believe some of them caught it. Some of those Pharisees, Sadducees and Pharisees actually caught it and they actually believed. And some of them saw it and they ignored it completely. So what were some of those signs? Let me paint the scene of the signs of some of the religious leaders might have saw. When you see Jesus on the cross here, it says now for the sixth hour until the ninth hour there is darkness over the land. So Jesus is on the cross and so for three hours all of a sudden it got really dark like, oh, Oh, it got dark. How about that? They could have missed that one. That, that's a subtle one. They may not get that one yet. But it, it goes on, and, it, and, it, and we see about the, the veil and temple being torn in two. In verses Matthew 27, 50 through 51, it says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. Want a sign? That's quite a sign. You know, the Pharisees and Sadducees, that would have been big news. Earthquakes are big news. Um, the, the veil of the temple being torn is bigger news, especially for the Pharisees and Sadducees. And not only was it torn, it went from top to bottom. This thing was not like, oh, it's just about this high. Somebody just grabbed it. No, it's high up there. It was torn. It's showing that God tore it from top to bottom. 
And now the, the, the Holy of Holies is open, and because of what Jesus did on the cross, his sacrifice for us, it, it now God is demonstrating that now we can go in God's presence without being destroyed because Jesus took the wrath of God upon himself. This is big news. Right when Jesus died, wait, it got dark, and there's an earthquake, and then the veil to, whoa, whoa what, when, when did that happen? Wait, Jesus this, this would have been a big discussion. They would have seen it. God saying, this is the sign that Jesus will be the Messiah. But they didn't, some of them didn't see it. It didn't stop there. Later in, in the same chapter, in verse 54, so when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Guess who saw the sign? A bunch of Gentiles, a bunch of non-Jews, a bunch of non-religious teachers that should have known all this information. They saw the earthquake. They saw how he died like no other person and how he gave up his spirit. He didn't keep fighting to, 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 to keep staying alive on there. They saw that. All that happened. Truly, this was the Son of God. They saw the signs. And the Pharisees missed it. And then we see in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 7, this would be an, a more signs he gives them. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also receive, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. We have some eyewitnesses accounts, too, of his resurrection. He just didn't end in the grave. He also rose again from the dead. You have 500 people seeing him at the same time. People say, oh, that's a mass hallucination. There's no such thing as mass hallucination. If I hallucinate something, and you're next to me, and you hallucinate something, it's going to be completely different. We don't all hallucinate the same thing together. It's not, scientifically, it doesn't happen. So they all saw Jesus risen. The 12 saw Jesus risen. They said, it is true what scripture said. He died and he rose again. The sign of the Pharisees, Sadducees, if they would explore it, they would have seen this. And I can tell you, there are some of Pharisees and Sadducees that did explore this and did see. We see Nicodemus as one of them. You know, there, there were others that saw it. There's many priests that came to know uh, the Lord as well, and it says that in the scriptures. You know, and that didn't stop there for the Pharisees and Sadducees. They should have known. Jesus was killed, crucified, tortured before he was crucified. You'd expect the 12 disciples, they would have scattered, which in the beginning they did. They hid. But then when after Jesus revealed himself to them, they were boldly preaching in the temple. Nothing held them back. They didn't care. We're going to imprison you. They gave threats. We're going to kill you. We're going to imprison you. We're going to have you crucified. That didn't stop them. I don't know about you. If Jesus didn't raise him dead, if I didn't see him, after what I just saw Jesus went through, I'm like, mm, I'm good. I'm not going around telling people about Jesus unless they actually saw him. Who would go to their horrible deaths? They died on the, uh, they, some of them later were crucified or killed in, in horrible ways, tortured because they wouldn't deny that they saw Jesus risen from the dead. They wouldn't deny that Jesus was the Messiah, because they saw it and they witnessed it. If you're the Pharisees and Sadducees, and you see the disciples a bunch, and they're still doing this, 
something's going on. The Pharisees and Sadducees needed to adjust their expectations, what they thought who Jesus was. Wait, I have to look at this. Is he? How is this possible? Could he be? Did I get something wrong? They needed to adjust it. Sometimes we need to adjust our expectations. So the question is, do you need to adjust your expectations of Jesus? Maybe God is revealing himself all over in your life, but you miss it. Maybe you're not looking. Maybe you're not expecting. Maybe you're not expecting God to speak or work. You say the prayer and you just kind of move on, but you're not being attentive to him. You're not listening, and he's revealing himself. Maybe it's a friend of yours. They've been praying, and wow, God did this amazing miracle. Look how God answered prayer. Wow, that's kind of coincidental. Hmm. And then somebody else starts, they're trying, oh, God did this and this and this. And, and wow, that's kind of crazy. Or you hear this amazing testimony. Somebody was like a, a gangster and, and, and a drug addict and, and they turned to Christ and all that left. And now they're preaching on the streets and they were, they were hunted by the gang, but that didn't stop them. They still preached Jesus. Wow, why did somebody do that? God is reeling himself all over, but you're missing it because you're not looking at maybe because you don't expect God to work. You don't expect God to answer. I'll pray a prayer. Mm, hope so. But there's not that faith of expecting, Lord, I'm depending on you. No matter what the answer is, not my will but yours be done, Lord, I trust you. But I'm praying and expecting and waiting. There's a difference there and God responds to that and God moves in that. Let's keep going. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others says Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed on heaven." Then he commanded his disciples that they should, not, they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. The disciples gained a clear picture of who the Messiah is. Right? God revealed it to Peter that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's clearly you are the Messiah. You are the one to come. So they had this expectation of what Messiah would be. But even in that, their expectation was wrong. They expected the Messiah to be different. They expected a reigning king, that they would rule with him. And they would come into the kingdom, and, and Jesus would be ruling, and they would be by his side and be like, yes, we're taking over the Romans, and you're having complete rule of the whole entire world. Jesus is our king, right? That's what they expected, which it says that in the scriptures. The difference is they didn't realize that's the second coming, not the first. They didn't understand that. They misunderstood the expectations.
So then we see in this passage, it goes on, it goes, For that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer. Many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. They had these expectations, and they didn't get it. He's going to be the ruling king, but Jesus says, no, no, i got to tell you what the Messiah will look like. You, you now know I am the Christ, and let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer many things from the chief priests and the elders, and I'm going to be killed. The third day, I'm going to raise again for the dead. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, Jesus, not you. That's not going to happen because you're going to be the reigning king. We know that from scriptures. Let me just tell you, I know you know the scriptures, Jesus, but that's not going to happen. You're not going to die. You're not going to suffer. And Jesus was firm on Peter on this one. Get behind me, Satan. Because he wasn't talking to Peter. He was talking to the one who was influencing him at that time. They didn't get it. They had to adjust their expectations. Jesus was something different than they thought. Not supposed to suffer. They didn't realize why he was suffering, though. They didn't realize that he had to die for humanity so we could experience eternal life with him. They didn't understand that Jesus had to pay for, take the wrath of God upon himself that we deserve. They didn't understand that. Do you need to adjust your expectations of Jesus? Disciples didn't get it, and Jesus corrected them. When we don't get it, Jesus corrects us. When we're attentive, it's gentler. When we keep ignoring, it gets a little louder. You see, and the Pharisees and Sadducees didn't understand either. They didn't know who Jesus was or what he was going to be. They expected the reigning king. Maybe they expected them to be teaching all the teachings of the Pharisees and obeying all the Pharisaical uh, rules and traditions as well as the Bible. Maybe they thought, you know, they didn't want a Messiah because they wanted to rule. But they didn't get it. And as a result, they didn't get it. They stopped following. They weren't interested in Jesus. They weren't following him. If they really knew he was the Messiah, they would be following him. That's not what they expected. He didn't fit. He didn't check all the boxes in their mind of who the Messiah is. Sometimes God does that. Sometimes God changes stuff. We think, God, you're going to work this way. And God's like, because, but God, you work this way the last five times in my life. You know, God's like, I'm going to do it this way. You going to trust me that I do this? He loves to do that. I'm like, okay, I, I know this is not going to happen because this, this, and this, and this. I tell, I'll tell my wife that. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. And what does God do? <laughs> so he goes, I'm going to do this. I'm like, oh, man, I missed it. <laughs> Happened this week? You know, and God just teaches us things because he wants us to trust him. It's really about our, our faith relationship with Jesus. He cares more than anything about your relationship with him. He loves you. He wants that closeness with you. He desires for you to commune with him and hear from him and respond to him. So all those other things are not important, but your faith is more precious than gold. That's what he desires to see in your life. He decides to see that grow and that you, you could trust him. God, I'm walking. I don't know what's going up ahead, but I'm walking. I could see about this far in front of me, but I'm trusting. 
That's what God wants. That's what he desires, that relationship you have with him. So let's see what happens next. In verses 24 through 27. So Jesus just told him, You're gonna, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And now he's going to say, this is disciples. This is what you will experience if you follow. Verses 24 through 27. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Hmm. Does it say here that the Christian life is all about us? It doesn't say. Does it say that if I follow Jesus, I'm going to get what I want? Does it say that if I follow Jesus, life will be convenient? No. Does it say that I'll get everything I desire? No. Jesus gives a simple choice to follow or not. If you want to follow me, this is what the result is. For the disciples, this is the reality. If anyone would desire to come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross and follow me. If you desire to save your life, you're going to lose it. Disciples, hey, I'm talking to you. You thought you were going to be reigning king. You'd be reigning next to me. We'll be all like, um, all, all powerful and taking over the world. No, no, no. If you want to follow me, you're going to die like I did. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be put in prison. You're going to have hardships. If you want to save your life, don't follow me. If you want to give it up, come follow me. You know what you're going to get? You're going to get eternal life. You will actually save your life. You think you're losing it? You're actually going to save it. And that's what he's saying to them. Now, we don't, uh, America, there's like a, that much, but not even a chance of, 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 of death for your faith here. I mean, it's very small. We hear of stories randomly, but it's very small. So most of us don't have to face this. Do I follow Jesus or do I get killed? Do I follow Jesus or do I get imprisoned? Do I we don't have that. But there's a reality. I need to still give up. I need to, he gives us a choice. Are you willing to give up what you desire for me? Or are you holding on to it? Are you holding on to life? Maybe it's status. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's, it's, it's what other people think of me. Maybe uh, I just want to do what I want to do. I don't want to do that. That looks scary, God. I can't do it. And we hold on to it. We're not willing to give it up. I follow Jesus. We praise and I follow Jesus. Yeah, but we're really not in our hearts. This is a daily surrender. I have to daily surrender. Don't think, hey, Pastor Lou, he's, he, I mean, he walks with Jesus like this. He is always surrendering. He's always submissive to the Lord. And he is like, God and him, it's like birds tweeting in the air and music and singing. And it's just this amazing experience all the time. I have to surrender. And when I choose not to, things don't go well. There's areas of our life we all have to surrender. There's some areas of life, yes, I have it surrendered. It's good, not a problem. That area of my life, not a problem. Lord, whatever you want in there. Other areas I, I, I cling on to, then I let go, surrender, and then I cling back on to it. And it's, and it's part of the flesh. It's part of our sinful nature. It's those times when I, I surrender, 
that God truly works. When I surrender those things and give it to the Lord, he blesses. And maybe these expectations you have of God that things aren't working out the way you want it to is because you're holding too tight. What are you holding to? What are you gripping on that's so important that you're unwilling to surrender to God? Do you need to adjust your expectations of Jesus? What he expects of you? There's expectations of change. God needs us to change how we see things, how we look at him, how we respond to him. You may have to make some difficult choices. It may be at work where you're saying, you know what, if I die to myself, if I decide I'm choosing to follow Christ and not following my own desires, I'm desiring to do what Jesus wants instead of what I want. Um, you know, I'm not following what the other guys at work are doing. No, I don't do that. Hey, let's go out for drinks. Oh, let's get wasted. No, I'm good. I'm good. Oh, and then they start leaving me out. I'm not part of the, the group anymore. Or I decide I'm not going to lie about that to get the account in order to, to get the big raise and because God talks to me about being honest. And there's some things I have to give up. There's some sacrifice because I'm choosing to follow Jesus. Or maybe at school, standing up for Jesus. Maybe it's going to cost me time and money. You may have to make difficult choices. Maybe you have to step out and say, I, I, I need to talk to this person about Jesus. God has put it on my heart. I need to step out in faith and start talking about Jesus. They need to hear about him. That may result in rejection. That may result in, um, they're looking at me weird. Maybe, maybe they'll call me church girl or preacher boy. I've had students in the past, they start telling people about Jesus. There's one girl, they called her church girl. That's what they called her. Other people would say, oh, you, what are you going to be? Uh, uh, at the boys, be, what are you going to be, a priest? No, a pastor. God, it's, it's different. <laughs> you know, we have some of those things, and that might be what happened because you're, de- you're denying yourself and you're saying, Lord, what you desire. You get maybe left out of certain groups and ignored and looked over. But we're doing what... Jesus is calling a follower willing to deny ourselves, take up the cross and follow him. We're not looking to save our own life. Jesus, what you want, your will be done in my life. I want what you desire. We make that every day. God, I want what you desire. That's what it means to take up the cross. I'm willing to, and eventually if you were called to a mission field, meaning that you would die for Christ, you would be willing to do that. God, your will be done. It's about surrender to him. And when we surrender, sometimes these unexpected things happen. God just gives us unexpected blessings that pour out on us. Because you see, our Father in heaven is a father, is a good father who loves to give good gifts to his kids. And we understand that when we're willing to let that go. Hey, I have a heavenly father who wants to get, is going to give me good gifts. He's not stingy. God is generous. We're willing to surrender. God will bless us. Maybe not the way you want. Because once again, you're going to say, I'm going to surrender, and then I'm going to get. That's not why we surrender. We surrender because we're submissive to God because we love him. And we want to follow him. That is why we are surrender. And then he gives us strength and peace and joy. And as a result of disciples doing this, there's some things, neat things that could happen. Matthew 16, 20, and 17, 1 through 2. Surely I say to you, there are some standing here 
who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up a mountain by themselves, and he transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. We have three disciples are up on the mountain with him, Peter, James, and John. And in verse 28, sometimes people get confused on what it means. They won't taste death before they see the Son of Man come. I don't get it. But if you just read the next verse, it's so clear. They get to experience God. They get to see Jesus transformed in his heavenly being. They get to see him in his kingdom. He is glowing because he is God, glowing in radiant light. They got to experience God. If you're willing to give up your life, you will save it. That will be the reward. He's showing you, this is what you're going to experience for all eternity. You're willing to give it up? I'm going to give you this. You're going to be in my presence. You're going to be in the presence of God. This is who I am. We get to have an experience of him. Now, it's interesting. It was only three of them. Not all nine. The other nine didn't have this experience of Jesus. You know, sometimes our expectations, I want the big experience of God. They get it. I should get it. That wasn't God's plan. God says, I'm going to give it to these three because I have a purpose and a plan for them. You are going to give a different experience. And when we seek God in the blessings, it may not be this, the same blessing as someone next to you. That's okay. God's got different stuff in store for you. And you understand that he's a loving father. He's going to give you what you need. And he's going to walk with you through it. So what are you holding on to that you need to surrender? What expectations of God? You expect your life to be a certain way. You expect God to work a certain way. You expect um, God to answer prayer or health or whatever it is you're holding on. I expect this. What do you hold on to? God wants you to release it to him today. And he loves you. And he's got what's best for you. And he's going to walk with you in it. Spend some time with Jesus this week. Allow him to change your expectations. Say, God, where where are my expectations off? What am I thinking of you that is not reality? Maybe I don't understand the brokenness of this world and sin and the result of the world, and that's why things are happening. Maybe I'm not trusting in you, even if you're working in a different way than I expect, but you're still working, but I don't see it, but I got to trust it. Seek the scriptures this week. Find some promises from the word that's going to encourage you. If you're dealing with something, you, got, you have Google. You have all the, you could Google verses, and it will come up, verses about fear, verses about um, discouragement. Verses, and, and you'll get a list of verses. We are blessed. I used to have to look through the end of the Bible. You look at it. That was hard. I'd have to make up a list of stuff. Oh, that's a good one, fear. Let me put it down. Now it's like lazy. Oh, this is great. Use it as a blessing. You know, and use it. Please use it. Print them out. I still, you know, make, make a Word document of all the different verses on that. That's going to help you. Print it out. Put it on your fridge. Put it on your wall. Read through it every day if you're dealing with something. Allow God to minister to you and start changing those expectations. Start understanding that God is with you, that he is fighting for you, that he is in your midst. Seek him daily. Get involved in the fellowship. Get connected with believers that can encourage you and exhort you. It's hard to walk the Christian life alone. But when there's fellow Christians encouraging you, 
It's much easier. When you have someone more mature in their walk helping you, like, I don't understand what's going on. Let me tell you how God's worked in my life. Let me explain to you how he works, and maybe he's working this way in your life. Okay, I can keep going. You know, that's an important factor that we need to keep trusting. Have some time of prayer and worship. There's so many worship songs out there. You could put, make a worship list um, on your phone and just listen to it and just praise God. Block everything out and just spend some time praising the Lord. And pray and seek him. Examine your heart and examine if your expectations are off. And when you're willing to surrender, God will work in you. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I praise you and thank you. I thank you that you're working even though we can't see that you're working at times, Lord God. Even when it seems you seem distant and far, Lord God, you are right there. You never leave us. You never forsake us. Lord, I thank you that you don't leave us where we're at. You don't leave us in our own understanding, Lord God, but you continually teach us and you continue to grow us in our faith. You continue to change our expectations and change um, how we see things that are off, Lord God, and you always correct us and lead us to better path. Lord God, may we have willing hearts and open hearts to what you're doing. Lord, may we willingly surrender to you those things we're holding on to. I know it's difficult. I know it's tough, Lord God. May you instill in us greater amount of faith and trust, Holy Spirit, that you would give us that faith to surrender those things we're holding on to. Holy Spirit, that you would convict us, that you would reveal to those things that are wrong in our lives and you'd help us surrender. Lord, help us to give us the strength to make those tough choices of what you desire to follow you, that we would give up what we desire and desire the things of you. Lord, may we be able to say, not my will, but yours be done, and live in submission to you. Holy Spirit, go before us, bring change in our heart and mind this week, and transform us into your likeness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.